This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions, or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink, and this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless 
alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Kia ora, my name's Luke. Hi Luke, welcome to the show. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Harold, how old are you? Yep, so I'm 30 years old. um, And how long have you been sober? 14 months. Awesome. And um, do you work? Yep, so work full-time, have worked full-time since 17. Excellent. And family? Uh, I do have a partner and a stepson now. Wonderful, wonderful. And you're from Christchurch? Originally, but have moved around extensively throughout mm-hmm. my childhood and um, as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So let's talk a bit about your drinking and ha- and how did it start? Yeah, I mean, drinking was so common within my household. Like as I've heard from many other members, that. My parents, well, my mum especially, and and everything, and my stepdad were heavy drinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, the first time I drank, I was 11, mm-hmm. and the rugby was on, and <laughs> it was, you know, if you want to have a beer, you've got to keep up with us. Wow. And I think about this now, that that very first time that mm-hmm. I drank, I drank to black out mm. and was supposedly running around the house naked. Wow. You know? And, yeah, then from probably about the age of 15, mm-hmm. that was when it was, you know, mum would buy me the the 12-pack right. on a Friday. And it was low percent beers. It was Rhinex. I don't know if you can get them anymore. But that was the way to say, well, you can manage it now. Wow. You know? So then it was however many, do I want to have six on Friday, six on Saturday? Mm-hmm. Do I want to have all 12 on Friday mm-hmm. or all 12 on Saturday? So that was kind of the starting of of my drinking. And almost normalised. So what did the drink do for you? How did it make you feel? At the time, it just made me feel normal. Right. That was... That was the big thing. Um, made me feel cool. Mm-hmm. Um, as time progressed, you know, and then other substances, you know, when teenagers start smoking marijuana and things like this, it was, that would settle everything. Mm. The booze would settle everything because my brain can't handle that other stuff. Mm. But then if I was taking that, the booze would settle everything and help me kind of be cool through the night at the parties and things like this. Mm. Um, and and that became way more pronounced as my drinking went on, mm. that it just helped me. And I'm sure we'll talk about it, but like it was the idea of feeling a part of a group, but on the outside of it, mm. kind of looking in. Mm. Um, 
And you, and you talk about the other stuff, you know, I guess that's your emotional or your, you know, how do you feel within yourself when you're not drinking? Mm. You know, what was your emotional state? Well, I think as a child, I was quite happy, you know, but that wasn't the whole case because then at home, you know, there was a lot of drinking mm. and there was a lot of other, um, there was a lot of other serious adult stuff going on. Mm. So, you know, I feel around about the age of 14, after thinking about this further, I was having to flip into kind of a parenting role in a sense. Mm. Um, so despite being happy, I also had this other stuff that maybe I wasn't privy to myself, mm. but was sitting in the back burner of my of my head. Mm. That now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, okay. There was this other stuff that I was having to manage and navigate as mm. a, as a child. Mm. You know, absolutely. And so the drinking, you know, as you progressed into late teens and early adulthood, how did it progress? You know, I always thought there was no point in drinking unless you're going to go <laughs> the whole hog. There, there was, didn't see the point in it. Um, I loved drinking to blackout. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming to Christchurch after living in Hokitika on the West Coast, moved here when I was 17 and didn't know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So the easiest way for me to know people mm-hmm. was just to get blotto. Mm. And it, that way it didn't matter who I, was, who I was around because if I was that steamed up, I could talk to anybody mm. or whatever. Um, and so it just became this normal thing mm. of every, say, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you get a bladder of wine or whatever <laughs> it is you can afford. Um, and that would be the regular mm. thing. And, and I mean, back then, this is, I'm, I'm 17 to about 20 at this point, um, that I could recover quicker. Okay. So that was that was the progression that it just went, yeah, to, to, to whatever could give me the biggest hit for the cheapest price. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, as it progressed into, you know, your 20s, you know, were there any consequences, any any trouble with the law, jobs, relationships with family, friends, others? Yeah, it was the the end of my teens that was, you know, getting arrested. Okay. Um, so count, I spent my 21st birthday in the cells. Right. Um Woke up and didn't know how I'd, how I'd got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of other really dumb things. Mm-hmm. You know, climbing on top of buildings when I was intoxicated. Um, the recklessness. Y- y- urinating in public, you know. And it's it's all these really silly things, but then they've all added up mm-hmm. to now, if I go to Australia, I get stopped. Right. Because you only get one diversion on a criminal history. Um, and... You know, with jobs, mm. I, I wasn't good with the ladies, so there was no relationships to um to 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 ruin at that point. But um, 
you know, family drifted further mm. apart and mm-hmm. just wasn't a priority mm. for me. Jobs, it, it was so encouraged within, um, sure. like, factory work and things like this mm-hmm. um, where I was at pre-uni and that was huge. But then I would also use every excuse. I think about this now. Oh, this family member's died. But I've already said that, you know, that person's died (laughs) twice now. Or I think I got um, alcohol poisoning. Or I think someone drugged, spiked my drink in town. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just these, the most ridiculous things. Mm. Because all I wanted to do was lay in bed and mm-hmm. and and eat potato chips hungover mm-hmm. for for days on end, yeah. feeling sorry for myself. At any point, you know, with these events or or your mental state, did you think that it was a problem and and try and stop, or think I might need to do something about this? In my early twenties, so like I say, I'm thirty now. In that twenty to twenty five. Um, there there were a couple of moments. Oh, you made a bit of a piggy yourself, you know. Try sort that out. Um, but I didn't really mm. see it as a problem. Mm-hmm. I saw it as a a, a point of pride. Mm. You know, like I was living in Auckland at the time, and I remember thinking, "Man, these guys don't know how to party." You know, <laughs> down in Christchurch, we get. We get blotto, um, and and they would all sit around and and drink and and chat. Mm. Whereas what I was used to was uh, the beer funnel and <laughs> and and how fast can you get it all in you? Yeah. So it, it was just it was so normal for me, mm. and and you know having my stepdad had a bar in the garage growing up. Mm. Mm. So so everything was just. It, it was perfectly made for yeah. me to be an alcoholic, basically. Hardwired. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we talk about in AA um, our rock bottom. What led to your rock bottom and, and, and I guess ultimately brought you into recovery and into the rooms of AA? Rock bottom for me and I've realised this now, it wasn't any big, great fall from the top. It was a it was a sense of apathy that mm-hmm. I had for everything mm-hmm. for probably five years. Mm-hmm. So from 25 to, or 24 to 29. Mm. Um, you know, that was when people started to say, I think you got a problem. Mm. You know, and hearing that from other people. How did that make you feel? I justified it. Yeah. it. It was, it was. Oh, I can do what I want. I, oh, I do that because I'm an alcoholic, and I would say it yeah. like that. Right. Wow. And and this is five years before I came into the rooms, and you know, then there was the the cheating on partners mm-hmm. and 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 changing cities mm-hmm. and expecting things mm. to get better. Um, and, and yeah, there was just countless. Countless times that I would just be sitting there alone in my mm. in my room, thinking you're worthless. Mm. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to live. Mm. It was just a, 
huge, huge apathy that I have for everything. I'd miss family funerals. Mm. I'd, I'd just nothing mattered as long as what I wanted was put first, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what I wanted was always to to dull what was to going on in my out. head. Yeah. yeah. So, what was it that led you to your first AA meeting? I had a um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd ruined the relationship. I'd, I'd said that I was going to go with my partner to a to an event and just never came home for two days, you know. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I played a show, I played music, and I threw a a glass at the wall while we're playing, thinking this was real punk rock and rock and roll, you know. <laughs> and what well, is just dumb, and it's not. It's really dangerous, and. Um, I was feeling so, so, so down in my own head that I started doing more more drugs and, and, and drinking and drinking alone by this point. Mm. And I remember this friend that had been there for me, mm-hmm. you know, just such a strong support person for me. I was, she'd come around probably a couple of weeks prior to clean up my bedroom. I had this little bedroom that I lived in that had an ensuite and a little kitchenette. And, you know, there was just these little NOS canisters everywhere with the with mm-hmm. cans and all this kind of stuff. And she came around and helped me clean it up. And the first thing I did was go, I feel better now. And then I went and got a box and went to my friend's house. Mm-hmm. Then a, a couple of weeks later, I was supposed to watch a movie with her. And she'd lost a family member, so I was doing what I could to to support her. But this weekend I went out and stayed up for 48 hours Mm. and missed just spending time with her on the Saturday night. And she had a, she, without saying too much, she, she ended up in hospital. And I thought to myself, man, if I was there, I could have prevented that. Mm. And this was just, you know, girlfriend after girlfriend after friend after friend after friend. And I just remember sitting in that Eastgate car park, just worthless, like a shell of a human, all the rest of it. And I called up that that number. I looked it up. I called it up and I was so nervous, man. Like I, I was still coming down from the weekend and, you know, I had all these substances in my body and... And called up this number, and I'm, oh, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's so much God stuff and all the rest of it. And um, the person on the end goes, just go to a meeting and go to a few different ones, and you'll find out which one's right for you. Um, and so it was that night, I remember just, like, sweating bullets, and I went for this massive run before the meeting just to try clear the nonsense out of my head showed up and it was someone's 25th birthday or something and so the the meeting was packed and everyone's going hey yeah hey i'm thinking oh just a i was thinking don't say hello to me and also (laughs) i was thinking what do you know you don't know what it's like you know what i've been through which is like of course they do and i just sat at the back just listening and crying the whole the whole time because it was just it was exactly me, everything that I heard. You related to? It's so much. Wow. It was, I mean, you, you, you carry it on because 
yeah, I'm not sure what else. And, and do you, and and the people, so big meeting. What what were the you know what were the people like to you? Did you feel welcomed? Yeah, I um, I felt as though everyone was um, was was super welcoming. It was it wasn't until I was walking down the road after the meeting, after having a few chats outside, and um, that to me was the the moment that it clicked. It wow. was after that first meeting. It was like this is the thing. All of a sudden, it felt like I was part of this secret little gang that no one knew about. This yeah. cool little group of people that were like talking about all this wisdom and everything and no one else knew about it. <laughs> and I was I was walking down the road and it was just this weight of me saying that I was an alcoholic that night, mm. which I'd said I was an alcoholic so many times before. It was like, I meant it this time. Yeah. And this was the, the, the thing that I needed to fill that missing puzzle piece. And AA was the perfect fit for it. And so, you know, what are some of the things you know, that the AA program suggests like sponsorship service and uh, that have been so important for you? Um, making sure I keep a certain amount of meetings up a week. Mm. You know, I know that if I don't do at least three meetings a week, mm-hmm. my mind just starts thinking all about myself mm-hmm. and then that's when I start to think what well, was me that's when I start to think about these worthless you know mm-hmm. um, these tapes that play on and on again service for me has been a really big one um, and just because that helps me stay behind that extra bit longer mm-hmm. if I'm picking up the literature mm-hmm. and I get to have a few little chats of people mm. and it's always those chats afterwards that really really fill my cup up yeah, and and keep me going, you know. If I go to a meeting on a Monday, miss the Tuesday, and then go back to the Wednesday night meeting, those little chats as well as the meeting help me get through that Tuesday. Sure. Until I make it to my next one. Mm-hmm. And so. um, you know, we talk about AA, and you touched on this briefly, being a spiritual program, not a religious program. What does that look like for you? I mean, that was the scariest thing. Mm. I was this militant atheist in my early 20s. You know, yeah. I thought, oh, what a load of hogwash going in there. And it's like, who cares? Mm. You, you know, it doesn't matter. And now it's like, for me, I say high power, I say spirituality, mm-hmm. all these things. You know, sponsorship was really huge at helping me mm. uncover what that was. Mm. Um, and so... I know going and visiting my grandparents regularly. Mm-hmm. They're old now, but that makes me feel really good. Mm. I know going to a meeting, man, this is the this is thirteen and a half months longer than I've ever been sober for. Mm. So something big is happening at those meetings. Yeah, you know, uh, going up into the hills into nature is mm-hmm. another massive one <laughs> for me. And I know that nature is a huge one for everyone else. Yeah. But I just think about it as these things that fill up my little spiritual cup mm-hmm. and that just keep me ticking along and keep, more than anything, just keep my mind not drifting off into that mm-hmm. apathy which it, mm-hmm. and, and lethargy, which it does mm. for me really, really easily. Yeah. So how would you describe your life today? Funny that we bring this up because I was thinking about this last night and, you know, 
a year ago, it was by myself, drinking, alone, miserable, not being invited to parties. Because mm-hmm. everyone was sick of me and my mm. carry-on. Today, I've my work, um, they really, really appreciate me. Mm. I work really hard. Um, I have decided to go back and do my master's, which is a high school dropout. That was an alcoholic. I never thought that I would do. Um, I've got a beautiful, smart girlfriend with a tiny wee six-year-old. I've got a lovely place in town that I can walk to work from. Mm -hmm. I talk to my dad. Mm. I see my grandparents. Like, I didn't do that. Mm -mm. Like... I thought, okay, all I need to do to fix my mental health was go for a run. But <laughs> and it's like, it's madness. And then what do I do as soon as I've done this 10, 15K run? Well, I go get a box of beers mm. and mm. then repeat that and then only have five hours sleep, da-da-da. I'm just going mental. Mm. Today, everything is like simple, mm-hmm. mellow, and it's, it's just easy. Mm. It's so wonderful. Yeah. So, Luke, what would you recommend if, you know, if someone's asking themselves, maybe I have a problem, what, you know, what are some of the things they could ask themselves? So, I wasn't an everyday drinker. Um, I, I was mainly a binge drinker, but I think the thing is, do you want to stop? Do you want to stop? And if you do, then AA's the right place for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Luke, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. Thank you. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web, or as Luke mentioned, you can call the 0800 number, 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business, but if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, God grant, grant me, me the, the serenity, serenity to accept the things I cannot change, change courage to change the things I can, and, and wisdom, wisdom to know the difference. difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.